Hello and welcome to the Dan Assel podcast in conversation with series. Thanks to our patrons, 19 Events, Tarsus Group and SISO, the Society of Independent Show Organisers, for supporting this podcast. Please subscribe to the video version of the podcast on YouTube and Facebook and follow Dan Assel on LinkedIn. Please also consider supporting the podcast with a small donation via buymeacoffee.com with the link in the description. Corporate Patreon and sponsorship opportunities are also available. Today I'm delighted to welcome David Audrain, the CEO of the Expo Dev Company, Exec Director of SISO and former President and CEO of Clarion Events North America. Good morning and welcome David. Good morning, glad to be here. Um, can you share for our UK viewers um, whereabouts you are? In the U.S., uh, I uh, I live and work out of uh, offices in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, which a lot more people will have uh, realized after the uh, most recent elections uh, where it is. Absolutely, I don't know whether that's a good thing that's put it on the map or not, but we're we're uh, we're come to that. Um, David, obviously, you've got a very impressive CV um, within the events and exhibition space. Uh, what I like to ask um, my interviewees to start off with is. What drives your passion for events? Um, I, like most people in our industry, uh, fell into this business almost 30 years ago now by accident. Uh, but it uh, became very clearly, very clear to me that it was something that I uh, uh, would enjoy and uh, fit my own personality of uh, being able to create events and, and uh, build them and move them forward. I've uh, had a lot of uh, um, great mentors over the years that have uh, given me opportunities to to go forward with that desire, and um, uh, and so it's it is it's a passion. Uh, you know, we we joke about um, those that are uh, good in the industry never leave. Yeah. Uh, we're you know we, we may not be the uh, the mafia, but uh, once in never out uh, for many of yeah. us. I mean, a lot of people tell me it's, you know, you put in all the hard work and then when you actually get to the event, when the doors open and the sort of crowds are there and your customers are doing business, that's what really sort of excites them. Was that true for you as well? Yes. I, 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 over the years, I've, I've run shows in many industries and I think the, uh, the, the one uh, overlying uh, continuation throughout them all is that uh, events particularly serve small businesses. Uh, you know, yep. The vast majority of our customers on both the exhibitor and attendee side are typically small business owners, managers, workers. Uh, and uh, I've lost track of how many of those customers over the years have told me that this particular event or that particular event is the mainstay of their, yeah. uh, of their business, of their marketing, of their sales funnel uh, as they go through it. Yeah. And I think that's probably more front and center now because customers are probably telling you they can't wait to get back to, to physical, even though um, virtual is fantastic. Can you just bring to life um, the Expo Dev Company? Um, our company, Expo Devco, is a small independent organizer. Uh, my partner and I started it uh, almost nine years ago now after uh, uh, leaving. I was um, uh, head of uh, Messer Frankfurt's North American business. I ran their North American business. My partner, Stephanie Everett, and I uh, had a, about a dozen events. We ran for them. Uh, we left uh, and started uh, Expo Devco in uh, January of 2012. Uh, our first uh, uh, efforts there were, were joint venture with the Clarion. We helped get uh, Clarion's uh, businesses in the U.S. started and, and uh, launched some events with them. Um, it's uh, say we, we were scheduled to run 11 events this year. Uh, we had to cancel eight of them. 
uh, like many, we got a few off in February, March, and then it was uh, it was done from there. Yeah. Um, we have some events we own, some we manage, some are joint ventures. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we also manage SISO, the Society of Independent Show Organizers. I serve as uh, executive director of that organization as well, and we run their conferences. Yeah, which we'll come on to. Am I right in saying that obviously your events are run across the country? And I know Mexico is well, one of your events. Yes. Uh, and as you quite, as you said, um, I read that you um, announced the JV in April, which is interesting, into the pandemic with the food uh, show. Um, yes. Obviously, in the, the UK, a lot smaller. Um, when we hold events in London, people travel from other parts of the UK because it's at most two or three hours to get to. Can you sort of bring to life, if you run an event, in one state never mind or city in in the states do people travel like they would do elsewhere in europe or is it really sort of localized it's it's very it's very similar to europe uh, and there's one of the issues we we uh, back in our mess of frankfurt days we, we had many conversations with uh, european customers and partners colleagues about the the difference the the expectation of a lot of internationals is that they can come to the US and go to one show and reach the whole country and the whole market. And of course, in reality, for 99% of the, of the sectors, that's, that's really not true. Yes, you can come to the Consumer Electronics Show, the CES, and pretty much meet the whole marketplace. Yeah. I used to run the SEMA show, the great automotive aftermarket event, uh, a world-leading event, and you could go to Las Vegas and that would get you in front of the vast majority of that sector. But for most sectors, uh, most shows, there are thousands of events here in the US. And in most cases, they are, like all shows around the world, regional in nature. It's just a dependent on the size and scale of the event and its importance depends on how big that regional draw is. Sure. Uh, but in many cases, if you run an event on the East Coast of the US, it's gonna, you're going to have a very small percentage coming in from the West Coast. Just like if you run an event in the UK, the yeah. number of people coming from Eastern Europe is going to be relatively small. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you go to Eastern Europe, you're going to have a much larger percentage from there and a much smaller percentage from Western Europe. The U.S. is no different than Europe. It's a very similar thing. In order to get people to travel, it depends on the value of the event you're drawing them to. Sure. I ran an event in Messe Frankfurt in, uh, in Frankfurt. And um, what we found quite quickly um, was that people wouldn't travel from Munich. Right. So it was very very localized to frankfurt and the and the surrounding areas history is actually littered with businesses not just from events uh, not just from the events world but from the uk trying to make it into the states um and not succeeding even though they might be very successful elsewhere why do you think that is well again i think it's like it's like anywhere you you have to understand the market you have to have boots on the ground um you know, no one, very few people would uh, attempt to launch a show in China without having local expertise, uh, local experience, understanding of the market and boots on the ground. The U.S. is no different for, for Europeans or anybody to come into the U.S. market or to come into the European market and think they can do that successfully, successfully from outside uh, without local experience, understanding and boots on the ground is optimistic at best yeah i think you're right i had um a chap called mike see me on the other week from raccoon events he's launching the running show which has been very successful here in boston you might yeah. have read or heard about it um, i know mike yep 
Yeah, and uh, Doug Emsley um, is obviously investing into that. So I think it, that actually proves it's quite important, clearly, to have a team on the ground and people that know you know with the track record. Um, in terms of, so you run events in different industries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, am I right in saying that there are still very a lot of commonalities between putting an event on, regardless of what industry it is? Well, I mean, obviously we're we're event organizers, so at the end of the day, the majority of what we do is is similar from market to market. I've run events in everything from, uh, con, you know, home construction industry to fashion. I ran magic. I ran the, the SEMA <laughs> show, the big automotive show. I've run, uh, you know, many, many industries. And I don't profess to be an expert in those industries. What we do is we partner with the right communities to build around our shows. Uh, so as organizers, the goal is to make sure that we bring the right buyers with the right sellers. Uh, and that we have the right expertise and knowledge of the market sectors to be able to do that effectively. Um, so, yeah, I, I see myself as an organizer first. Uh, I try to make sure that we, we have the right experience and the right connections. A good example of that is the deal you, you mentioned earlier that we yeah. did in the spring. The New England Food Show uh, is act, was actually owned and is owned partly still by the Massachusetts Restaurant Association. They are the community for the restaurant industry in Massachusetts, which is the heart of New England. Um, they had produced the show for, for many years with partners. Um, we became basically the, the latest partner. We bought half the show. Uh, we are organizing and managing. The association doesn't want to run the show. They, they are an association for the restaurant industry, so they want to support their industry. Um, so we bring the, the show expertise. They bring the community. Yep. So... Um... We went into our first lockdown. We're sort of in a pseudo lockdown here in the UK. Um, even though most things are open, it's a bit of a strange time. Um, we went into our lockdown originally on March 23rd, probably from memory similar in the States. Mm-hmm. When it hit, as an event organiser, what were you think? You know, what were you thinking? What was the what was the plan? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm an eternal optimist. Yeah. Uh, luckily, uh, my partner is a much more of a realist. So, um, so we offset each other quite well. I, like most, thought this would be, you know, short term. Sure. Um, and I think we, we, the most of us planned on that basis. We started moving things a few months, thinking that uh, that would be fine. Um, in in pretty much thirty years in this business, uh, I've never had to make an insurance claim before. Yeah. Uh, I'm now somewhat of an expert on making uh, cancellation insurance claims. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going forward. So we, we say we, we tried moving some events. Uh, we rescheduled and replanned over the spring and summer, uh, eventually canceling eight of our 11 events as we went through, including both of SISO's conferences. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, now I think we all know that it's going, it, it's a much bigger hole than we ever thought we'd be in. And it's going to be a much um, tougher climb back out of that hole yeah. uh, because events are, going to be uh, coming back in different stages. We are seeing already here in the States, we're seeing a small number of smaller local shows, some B2C shows and in local cities like Atlanta and Orlando and Texas, where they, the markets are technically open. The events can be held locally and bring in local attendees. Uh, and I think we'll start to see that grow gradually. We'll start to see more regional events come back, large international events 
are going to be the last to come back. It's, that's just the fact of the situation we're in with the international travel bans and, and, and so forth. Yeah. And again, it'd be useful for the viewers in terms of, I guess, the laws of the land, because again, referred to Germany earlier, they're very much dictated by um, the, the different regions, right? The different uh, governance and regions. Is that the same in the States? So are you suggesting that in one state at the moment, they can run a small show, but in another, they can't? How, how's it working? Well, the, I mean, we are a, a federal system similar to Germany in that we have a lot of state uh, powers and <laughs> yeah. federal government above it. Um, the difference here is uh, the, the Germany has been quite good at, uh, at coming up with um, collaboration between all of the states and the federal government and yeah. having uh, consistent uh, guidelines and protocols. Uh, unfortunately, the U.S. has not been very good at that. Uh, we have had uh, very little federal governance and, and direction. Uh, and the states individually have the authority and the power to determine what they will do. So we have had states like Florida, Georgia, Texas, uh, yeah. release a lot of the rules and, and allow for a lot of things to go ahead. Uh, and Nevada is a good example. They have went into major lockdowns, limited uh, groups to dozens and then 50 and then 250 recently and up to 1,000. And the governor there is now talking about finally uh, allowing events up to 50% occupancy and density okay. ratios, which yeah. is uh, obviously one of the things we've been advocating for as an industry is look at density, don't look at numbers. Uh, and uh, But we have states like California, Illinois, New York that have still complete lockdowns on any, uh, on any events and uh, may well be many months before they start opening up. So it is a patchwork, unfortunately, here in the U.S. with... Uh, with uh, very mixed guidelines across the country, which makes it very difficult for us. Sure. And um, it'd be, I want to move on to talk about um, your role and CISO in general. In, general. Um, in the UK, we have a number of industry bodies. Uh, you're probably aware of the Association of Exhibition or Event Organisers, what's the Exhibition Organisers. And one of the, the challenges that that body's faced <clears throat> and the trade and consumer show sector in general um has been lobbying the government for them to understand there's difference between that type of event and a wedding or business event or even yeah. the hospitality industry we just can't get through that you know we're not putting on a, an event in a restaurant can you introduce us to the society and your role within it and how that's been how that works within the states really and how it's been lobbying central and local government certainly say so i said society of independent show organizers yep. we are a 30 year old group that is uh very ex targeted in our in our positioning so has always been an exclusive group only for for-profit show organizers right. uh, it was started here in the u.s it is it has a global membership we're still headquartered here in the u.s but uh, our members are from throughout the world and if you start uh, with Informer and read and go down the list of the largest organizers, the vast majority of them are CISO members. Yeah. We also have mid-sized companies uh, and more regional companies like the Access Intelligences and the Emeralds and the Diversifieds here in the US, um, the Montgomery's in the UK and, and so forth, down to little, little companies like my own uh, and many of the entrepreneurial. So it's, it's always been sort of an ecosystem of, uh, of helping the smaller entrepreneurial companies grow uh, to the mid-sized mid ones and become uh, uh, attractive targets for the larger yeah. ones. 
uh, and that's been our focus. We have not done advocacy work in general uh, in the past to, to any large degree. We have taken, uh, we've supported different issues, but for the most part, it wasn't deemed to be necessary uh, as for many of the associations. Yeah. Um, this crisis, of course, uh, created that uh, big challenge for the whole industry. And we've worked uh, with UFI on some of the international uh, aspects and the advocacy work. We uh, work closely with the AEO and, and Chris Skeeth and his team there. Yeah. Uh, so we have collaborations with many of the organizations around the world. In the US, obviously the US is the largest market for exhibitions and events in the world. So, uh, and we, there are a number of associations here that we are um, collaborative with uh, from IAE to SEER to ESCA, the suppliers, uh, service contractors to EDPA and, and others. Um, in March, when this uh, really started to, to just become critical, uh, there was a, a move to create one umbrella advocacy group. Uh, it was called the Go Live Together yeah. uh, Coalition. Um, Freeman uh, Company uh, took the lead in getting that started to get, uh, to get people to communicating as one. Uh, they came to us at SISO and asked us uh, as we were um, representative of the, the largest organizers in the industry, uh, if we would take a lead in that, and we did. We, uh, create, we funded half the budget for the, the half million dollar budget. We came in and funded half of yep. that with support from our largest companies. And we hired one of the best lobbying firms uh, in the US, uh, one of the best Marcom firms, uh, and started advocating uh, on behalf of the industry with targeted uh, requests and goals. But as you experienced- Sorry, can you just explain what those requests and goals were? Yes, I mean, the, obviously the first thing is recognition of the value of the industry and, right. and just purely, purely uh, creating some rec awareness of the impact of the industry, the size of the yeah. industry, especially on the business side. And as you mentioned earlier, the differential between managed business events and social events, yeah. sporting events and concerts and the like, a very different dynamic and a different uh, positioning. Uh, we've had limited success, some success. Obviously, we've uh, been able to educate the, uh, the political uh, infrastructure to some degree. But of course, the, the crisis is so enormous yeah. uh, and there are so many sectors being impacted that it is hard to, to maintain a high profile. So we've we have been focused on major issues like business liability protection for, for our companies, uh, like tax credits for uh, companies trying to get back in uh, uh, exhibiting, but also for some of the cleaning and safety uh, costs that are coming out right now. Uh, and then insurance is a huge issue for us uh, with the uh, elimination of communicable disease coverage from cancellation insurance. So there's uh, work here on, a, uh, on legislation to try to... Um, bring in a government-backed uh, insurance program for uh, event cancellation included underneath the business interruption uh, area, similar to what happened after 9-11 when uh, terrorism coverage was impossible to find uh, at that time. So those, those are some of the areas we're advocating for, in, in addition to obviously the, the, the huge need for stimulus and, and general government support that we are part of several coalitions, business industry coalitions, looking uh, to try to, uh, to get more government support uh, here in the US on that side. And what has the support been like? Um, frankly, pretty minimal. Yeah. Uh, again, the, the, you know, the US government is 
overwhelmed uh, yeah. for, for want of a better description. Uh, we are having some better success on some of the local areas. I say Nevada is a good example where, you know, we have advocated from the beginning that numbers of people in meetings is, is, a, is a frankly silly uh, measurement because putting 50 people in a 400 square foot room is yeah. a lot different than putting 50 people in a 100,000 square foot convention center or exhibit hall. Um, and yet the governments have, have been you know, unresponsive to that pure logic. Uh, we have been from the very beginning advocating for the uh, view of density, uh, the fact that we can manage uh, business events in a safe environment with cleaning, with safety protocols, with masking uh, and the like, and that with uh, occupancies of even 50%, the, uh, the safety of people coming into business events is far easier to manage than walking into a grocery store. Uh, sure. or walking into a shopping mall, all of which are open and have been here for you know, the duration. Um, so those are areas we continue to be challenged on and, and uh, working for. And you said that obviously some events are running in certain states. Can you give us a sense of what safety protocols they've had to put in place? Is everyone masked up? Is it one way? What's we as SISO have, uh, have certainly have supported the um, utilization of the All Secure Right. Uh, guidelines that were developed early on in the spring uh, through a collaboration with yep. uh, Informer and uh, Reading Clarion. Um, we, those open source guidelines are uh, our recommendation of a baseline. Uh, a good example recently, Informer ran the uh, large Fort Lauderdale International Boat Show uh, in Florida, which uh, was just a, a week or so ago. And um, there, to date, there's no reports of any significant spreads of infection there. Yeah. Masks were required, cleaning protocols were in place, uh, and it went ahead very effectively. That's we, as ISO, also just re released a um, case study, a detailed case study uh, on uh, an event in outside Washington, D.C. that was held uh, some weeks ago, a uh, more localized B2C event, uh, and followed all the protocols that were put in place there. And again, uh, very successful without any uh, any major uh, incidences uh, going forward there. Uh, and I myself attended the Tarsus's Connect uh, event in Orlando a few weeks ago um, that was held with all the protocols in place. and, and yeah. So temperature checks, masks and uh, one-way systems, etc. And obviously, I guess, more distance around stands and like gaps between yeah, seats. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the biggest effort we as SISO are focused on right now is the availability of uh, effective, low-cost, rapid testing. Right. Uh, this, this, in our mind, is very much going to be the, uh, the number one tool we as an industry over the next year are going to need to use and have available to give our customers confidence that they can come to an event and whether there's 500 people in the room, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 in the you know, huge convention center, that everybody in that building, in that venue will have been tested in the, yeah. that day. And <clears throat> um, you know, the news about the, uh, the efficacy of Pfizer's uh, vaccine this week is, is obviously tremendously positive, um, but the rollout of uh, these vaccines are going to take months, many, many months. Uh, and over the next year, that's, that will have a, a strong impact on helping to control the spread of the virus. But for us as organizers, 
we have to build confidence in our yeah, customers. Yeah. And until the control of the virus has been uh, put in place to the point where the, the spread is minimal, as is the case in China, as we're seeing right now, and many parts of Asia, uh, until we get to that point, there is still going to be uh, far too much concern about going to events. And the, uh, the, from our perspective, the, uh, the main program has to be masks, safety, cleaning, and rapid testing. Because hey, if, if, I, if, if I'm inviting a, an exhibitor or an attendee to come to a meeting and I can tell them that everybody in that venue will have been tested that day and will have yep. been negative, then the, in addition to the masks and the cleaning, uh, the, uh, the potential for spread is going to be very, very minimal. Yeah. Um virtual events have obviously been all the rage over the last few months <laughs> um we've all been invited to hundreds of different zoom meetings um what's your view on their role going forward do you, and ha how do you define hybrid well um you know we saiso uh, underwrote some research that uh, exploring and ufi uh, put together this summer and it, it very clearly shows that the vast majority of exhibitors and attendees see online events as better than nothing, but not much. Um, and that's, that's the reality of it. We've had the, we've had the opportunity to have online events for yeah. many, many years. And the reality is that the majority of people do not see them as being particularly valuable. Yeah. Um, you know, I myself, I say I run a, a restaurant industry show. I run some manufacturing shows. Um, the whole point of those events typically yeah, is to allow yeah. people to touch yeah. it, taste it, yeah. feel it. I used to run some fabric industry uh, sourcing shows. Never met a, an, a, an apparel manufacturer yet who was willing to buy a piece <laughs> of fabric without touching it. Yeah. Um, you know, we run shows in the uh, in the uh, sewn products uh, marketplace and uh, furniture manufacturing market. Again, you're selling big, huge pieces of equipment, cutting and spreading machines and yeah. sewing machines and the like. And again, those buyers want to actually see the machine working. They want to touch it. They don't want to just look at a picture of it. Or we could have done that for years. Um, there's an ability online to be able to share uh, education and content yeah. in a, an effective way. Uh, there's the ability for the online, I think we've already seen some cases where uh, the audience can be broadened because people that could not afford the time or money to go to a live event in the past yeah. might yeah. be willing to try some of the online content. And potentially, ideally, that gets them enthusiastic enough to find the budget and time yeah. next time to come to a live event. Yeah. So, um, But I, we did an interview with Paddy Cosgrove from Web Summit uh, just a few weeks ago, and he put it well, they, they did, they moved their events uh, online, their collision event from North America and their upcoming Web Summit. And, uh, and they've had tremendous sign up for it. But Patty stated it very clearly that uh, as soon as they can put the event back in person, they are going to because that's what their communities want most of all. Yeah. And also, let's face it, that's where the dollars come from, you know, to, to replicate the big stands online is impossible um and i think you said there are benefits especially if people can't travel internationally that they can at least consume the content right and so they can physically yeah. go there um just finally i can't let you go without talking about um the election um and obviously as you said where you are has been central to it um 
what's your views on sort of going forward um and maybe in relation to the events industry i don't know whether you felt you know one president or government whether democrats or republican might have been better for the industry you represent i mean you know i i'm personally happy with the results that are coming <laughs> yeah. but that's my own personal yeah. opinion uh but from our from our industry's perspective the reality is that uh, since this uh crisis came up and we had our first uh, mass infections in in the early spring unfortunately the u.s government has done a very poor job of actually recognizing the crisis, yeah. dealing with the crisis, creating any sort of leadership and direction from a federal level. So we are very hopeful that a, a new government will actually put more uh, force behind controlling this and driving it down. We need we need control of it. The you know uh, the industry in China is a great positive for us because uh, as soon as the government there was able to drive the infection, control the infection rate, massive testing, massive tracing to get it under control, our industry has come back gangbusters. Yeah. Uh, we are seeing uh, events in China coming back at 80, 90, 100% or more of 2019 numbers. Uh, and we're seeing great confidence. We're seeing you know, no move to online in any major way. We're seeing in-person events coming back extremely strongly. And that's what we want to see in Europe and the Americas is following that lead. If I could ask you for a prediction, um, when do you think sort of Q1, two, three or four next year events will come back in the way I guess they were before, i.e. more you know, consistently running? Well, you know, that's the million dollar, multi-million dollar question we're all asked and looking yeah. at every day. Um, I, I think it, I don't think there's a hard and fast date that we can all count on, unfortunately. I think as a, we've talked before, there's going to be, you know, we're already seeing some events starting to come back now, which is great, but they're local. They're, they're very, they're, they're hyper-local in many cases. They may be B2C in some cases. Yeah. Uh, I think we will start to see, you know, I'm confident that we will see uh, more and more events as each month goes on in the new year. Um, I have unfortunately had to move most of our uh, February, March events into the early summer. So we've, we've moved a lot of our own events yep. into the spring and in second and third quarter. Um, but I, I'm confident about our SISO CEO summit, for example, in April, we are going yep. ahead planning that in person. Okay. Um, and I, I think I say I, I believe we'll see bigger regional events starting in the first quarter, more so in the second quarter. Yeah. Uh, the hopefully the bigger international events we'll start to see in the third quarter going forward. Yeah, it's almost like the local and regional ones build the confidence then for the, yeah. the larger ones to happen, right? Yeah. David Audrain, CEO of Expo Dev Company, thank you so much for your time today.